Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I've just put together episode 50 of my Lessons from Lost podcast. You've reached a half century. Well done, sweetheart. I have, and 3,000 downloads. So thank you everybody for those. 3,000, that is a colossal amount of lessons learned from Lost. And who are you talking to this week? A lovely lady called Ming Yu. She's sharing all of the many ways in which she healed after her experience of sexual trauma as a young adult. That sounds very interesting. Is there a porcupine involved this week? No, but she didn't share all the ways, so maybe there is. Let's find out more, shall we? Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, the podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them that now positively guides our lives today. I'm your host, Rachel Smith, and each episode I chat with a different guest. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their very personal experiences, but also the impact that hearing about these experiences may have on you, the listener. So please take care as you listen. Today I'm chatting with Ming Yu, all about her experience of losing herself following sexual trauma as a young adult and her journey to rediscovering and loving herself. Welcome along, Ming. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for that that really spot-on introduction. Yeah, and for inviting me on here. I understand that you were in sort of partial denial for many years about the sexual trauma that you experienced. I guess we can be very good at blocking out unpleasant and difficult memories and experiences, but invariably at some point that trauma then sort of represents itself in some way or another whether that's physically emotionally or some other way and before we get on to your journey to healing perhaps we can start with how was it for you in those years of of denial or sort of confusion about it shutting off from the pain of that experience I just want to say at the time it was so because it was so emotionally intense and confusing and so difficult to process I made a conscious decision to compartmentalize it so yeah there was some denial but I would also say because I was you know there was some conscious thought in terms of putting it aside yeah I don't know maybe there was kind of partial partial yeah there was definitely denial but there was some some thought behind it as well yeah, so it wasn't a total sort of blocking it as if a this didn't happen to me. Actually, it was difficult to acknowledge what had happened because I assumed 100% responsibility for what had happened without mm-hmm. going to the whole situation. It was a very complex thing. And, and therefore, yeah, I was totally in the wrong. That's the way that I saw it but actually at the time it wasn't a question of right and wrong it was just I was confused because I really loved them yeah it was very complex it wasn't it there were tons of shades of grey and even over 20 years later when I finally confronted it and I talked about it with a friend who suggested that I had been groomed (laughs) I've heard of the term before, but I am still on the fence as to whether that happened. I mean, maybe by the fact that I'm on the fence might even suggest that I was groomed. 
Um, and I have and I have heard as well that often when people are groomed, they don't that's the whole point. They don't even realize that they've been subjected to that kind of trauma. But what I do know is that when I did finally confront it, I had a whole body reaction to it because I just burst into tears. And I can tell you about about how that came about later. But yeah, I burst into tears with that unexpectedly when I shared a poem that I'd written and that helped me to confront my experience. And then I knew, okay, there's something here in because of how i've reacted and i yeah. and i think also it took me a long time to get to that point to allow myself to explore a different perspective i think it was a culmination of loads of work on myself but i do remember that there was something that um this person because we'd been in touch and this person had given me a card and it had said you know something like to my favorite person and I was thinking why are you my favorite why am I your favorite person and I just thought why is that and I didn't really think about it until about six months later and I just brought it up in conversation passing conversation with a friend on the night before I was due to go on a a retreat out a a mindfulness retreat out in nature where I knew we would have a we usually we woke up to having a, a a day by ourselves out on in the wild with our intention for that day and it's a day in silence and solitude to explore whatever it is your intention is and and then you come back together and share stories about what's happened for you that day and you hear your experiences being reflected back to you through the um, facilitators um, and it can involve some kind of rituals as well because they believe in that to help mark certain things in your life so um, so yeah I, I I had a chat with her on the eve of going there and then this whole conversation started opening up and I then decided to give myself permission on that retreat to explore this whole topic again because of the fact that of that phrase of that phrase that they'd included in their card that I found a bit odd plus my friend asking me some really thought-provoking questions and that's after yeah over 20 something years of not looking at it mm. it's interesting isn't it that we you said earlier on that you know, initially it was something that you kind of took full responsibility for. And I think there is sometimes a pressure or not. I don't know if it's a pressure, but, you know, I, I know that I'm very hot myself on personal responsibility and that whatever happens in my life, I've created that good or bad. But of course, that isn't always the case, is it? Yet. Yeah. Yeah, in that sort of very complex, nuanced relationship that you had, you see that, yes, it would be, you know, if you are somebody like me who, who does take personal responsibility, you know, that's very high up on my, you know, if you were listed to talk about my values, that would be very high up. 
that actually sometimes that can that cannot necessarily be very helpful because we then dismiss the fact that actually the other person you know had a a very big part to to play in that yeah and i i think i think the issue is as well when you are a young adult legally you're an adult but you're also still you know you, you're still you're just starting to live life mm. and so you might still be considered to some extent you know barely out of child just out of childhood or barely so it's a really difficult tricky point how you regard as you know emotionally legally etc yeah and that's not to i'm not i'm not saying that to dis any young adult here at all but i think it it kind of added as well to this tricky issue of how much responsibility do i take and also the issue about memory because <laughs> i don't remember everything and there was definitely no yeah there's i can definitely say there was there were no drugs involved or anything like that but the problem with long term memory is you only remember you only remember what you remember and then you put mm. on top of that you layer on top of that what your particular lens might be in terms of what you remember for whatever reason that serves so so i only remember the bits where oh it felt like oh maybe i instigated certain bits but that's not saying that I asked for it, but I've also then not remembered fully what the other person's part was in, in it. Yeah. And so I think I think this then adds to that whole issue about well, what's the amount of responsibility? And, and and my friends are saying, well, actually, you know, whatever kind of relationship it is, it always takes two, which is true. And and then when someone's that much older than you, there's a difference in, you know, age, power, whatever. Yeah, I, I kind of ignored it, but I think that, that those things have to be taken into consideration. But, you know, I had I had a really good friend that knew about it from the beginning because I was just really stuck at the time and I just blurted it out. And thankfully, we weren't friends <laughs> At the time, I blotted it out, and thankfully, she turned out to be a great friend. But it's because I was just driving myself mad with it going round and round in my head, and I really needed someone to talk to. So, yeah, I would say that for anyone who's going through it, it's so important to have, even if it's just one person, doesn't matter doesn't matter who it is if it's you know family friend a, a charity that can offer you know offer someone for you to talk to just talk to somebody because it is it's such a huge thing to carry by yourself so important to have your experience validated and for questions to be asked like your friend asked of you sort of questions that actually made you stop and think well actually am I am I remember 
am I remembering all of this? Am I am I actually being fair on myself? Yes, there were, you know, there was another person involved with this. I think really, especially I think probably if you've been had this going over in your mind for many months, years, however long, it, it's then easy to sort of get stuck, I guess, in those patterns of of thinking that you you lose the overall perspective of it. You're just seeing it through, as you say, your lens. Yeah, and I, and I think you've got to be really careful as well about who you choose to confide in um, because as much as, yeah, this first friend that I confided in, she was actually really good at being there for me. And she she would, you know, it wasn't constantly that she would bring it up, but every now and then she would, you know, say say something. Um, so I don't know, she just struck the right kind of balance. And then there was a second friend, the one that I had the conversation with the, the eve before I went on the retreat and confronted it, who came joint came into my life a lot later. And there's a story about that and a dream, um, which I can cover later. And um, yeah, and she was also hadn't said anything actually up until that point, and then said, "Well, actually, I've been." It's always struck me as X, Y, Z, and she gave her opinion, but she was always of the mind that, and I think it was the same with both of them that, you know, I had to come to it in my own time, and I think that's true. I think that. You'll get there when you need when when it's right for you. And once you do get there, it's amazing. And I when I say get there, I mean get there in terms of starting to um really look at it in the eye. And it can because it's so scary, it you know, I'm not surprised it takes time and it takes courage and the right kind of support so take the time that you need and when you're ready you'll be ready and and once you're really open to that it's amazing how fast your healing is I think from when I confronted it I mean, this is in the context of my general, much longer healing journey from my physical illness that is no doubt related to it. But when I finally confronted it, I would say from that to uh, where I'm now and in a, you know, it's taken two years. But actually, even then to make peace with it, it was even faster than that. I had a lot of um, support and resources, which I, yeah, wanted to mention talk, or talk about today just to help people be aware of what's out there it's almost like a, a list of what have i not but i suppose that's that's all part of people's you know individual you know healing journey if that's if that's what we want to call it is that it it is about exploring just being open and exploring lots of different things because some things will resonate and will progress you through that journey and, and other things 
might just be like, well, didn't really get an awful lot from that. And it's just such a, an individual thing, isn't it, as to as to, to what works what works for you. And sometimes it might even be a matter of timing that actually it worked for you then, but had you tried to do it two years previously or three years later, it would have had a, a different outcome for you in, in trying that particular um, sort of avenue of, of support or therapy. Yeah, and I, I think that the the way I started initially, it was actually more about my career. So that was how I stumbled into coaching. And it was originally, it was for my, you know, when I first accessed it, it was to help me in my career and figuring out what where I wanted to go to next. And that was in my 20s. And then fast forward several years later, I'd just come back from being abroad was a lot of stuff going on in my life, including a relationship breakup and just getting used to being back from being abroad, even though I've, I know I've been in the UK pretty much my entire life. And and then I started to, to get bullied at work. And, and then there was a family member who had cancer so it was just like everything happening at once and that was when I started to go through coaching again because I just thought well I could leave this job but actually what happens if I leave and the same thing happens again then all I've done is I've just moved myself and with the same cage to another location and I'm looking at between the bars thinking that I'm free but actually I don't realize I'm stuck in my own cage so that was when I started to go for coaching and the reason why I'm mentioning this is because after seeing how much of how much help it had been after about a year of private coaching I was burnt out lost my job and then decided to go for a coaching degree and I didn't know whether I'd become a coach or not I just knew that whatever happened it would it would always benefit me so it was a win-win and whilst I was studying that apart from equipping me with the skills to manage myself better and to relate to myself and other people better it also introduced me to mindfulness like Cabot's in and that was how I started exploring mindfulness and going on these wonderful retreats at Sharpham, of which I've done loads. I've done lots of different types. Uh, and it's it's a it's a, a wonderful setup they've got there down in Devon on a 550 acre estate. And it's so nourishing. You're eating you know, really healthy vegetarian or vegan food. And depending on which retreat you're on, you might either be cooked for, you might take it in terms of cooking for each other. And it can be really secular or there's one part of it that's a bit more Buddhist, but it's all also about being in community, which I love. And yeah, and, and whilst I was there, um, it took me about eight years of going. I used to go once a year. And every time I left, there would be something that would happen that would then show me the value of uh, mindfulness. And then like everybody does, I'd go home thinking, right, I really want to keep this up. And then yeah, a few weeks later or a month later, it would just fall by the wayside. 
but for some reason you know I knew it was good for me so that's why I just kept going and 2018 I got really sick but the funny thing was New Year's Eve I was on a retreat at Sharpham before I got sick and I had this dream and 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 that was where I met this friend of mine that helped me to you know that talked to me the the night before I went on that retreat where I confronted my demon my past and um on that retreat we met for the first time my friend and I and it was purely because I hadn't really spoken to her but I'd had this dream and I just blurted it out to her and I had this dream where and I rarely dream as well which is another weird thing and I have never ever had that powerful a dream since but in my dream uh my long-term ex appeared well he wasn't actually in it but it was about him and everyone who you know family and friends and even ones people I'd lost touch with were in the dream and they were all looking really sad and I didn't know why and then I found out that it was because my long-term ex had had a heart attack and then I woke up and I noticed that there was an absence of feeling like I didn't and I just thought well of course because our relationship was over a long long time ago so of course I'm not going to feel anything so I told my friend for some reason and then the following month I was out for the day doing seeing various people and then for some reason on the way home and this is whilst I'm having I've forgotten what the type of body therapy I was having it's called anyway it's it's not Reiki because I wasn't I didn't I wasn't into Reiki at the time but it was something to do with readjusting your a lot realigning your body but it was also connected to your emotional aspects and at the beginning of taking me on, the lady had a an intake form and you had to indicate on there what were all the significant physical, emotional events that had happened in your life. So on the way home, and this is like after months of being seeing her, on the way home, I suddenly remembered that on the intake form, I hadn't listed my sexual trauma. And then it just struck me how long I'd shelved it for. Because mm-hmm. at that point, it was, yeah, it was over 20 years. And I just started to cry. I couldn't stop crying because I was just struck by, if I'd shelved all that, how much had I shelved myself and had I... And how much of an impact had that had on me? And I, yeah. So I was just really crying on the train. Um, And it's like, okay, so maybe that's why I wasn't feeling in the dream. Because I, yeah, I knew at the time the trauma happened, I had to compartmentalise myself in order to move on. And then, yeah. Six months later, I got really, really ill. I was I was at work. I had been working in a really toxic culture. I didn't enjoy it. I 
had to deal with politics all of the time and live away during the week. And I was seeing someone as well. And that was, yeah, that wasn't great either. And basically, after a whole week of not being able to keep anything down, not being able to walk up straight, I was in too much pain around my abdominal area to the point where I couldn't even have a seatbelt on me. I found it hard to walk up the stairs. Um, and this is how embarrassingly hard it was. I actually, and I've forgotten how, what a desperate situation I was in until I got discharged the first time from hospital and seeing the towel on my bed. So I didn't, excuse my language, crap myself in bed. Like, I was just trying to survive. And I ended up having emergency surgery that week of going in and out of doctors and hospitals all thinking that I had other things like norovirus and it wasn't. Um, but that really blew me wide open. And I was basically in and out of hospital for about a month. And for someone who ha hasn't been that great with vulnerability, it was a big, big deal because I had no choice and I had to be reliant on other people. And as a friend's um, brother said, oh, Superwoman got ill. <laughs> I mean, that really said it all. Mm. Um, and I, it was, I guess it was almost like a factory reset. I had to relearn my body, like what, when my body made this sound, what did it need? Or, you know, I just didn't know anymore because I'd had tubes stuck in me and I, you know, foreign things and just didn't really know what was what. But what was amazing was I didn't know. I ended up, apparently I, I, I struck gold because I turned up on the, the best ward in the hospital on S8. And I felt like I'd entered a sisterhood uh, of all these amazing nurses. I mean, at first I was in a, a, a room by myself and I was there with, you know, all these amazing women. Uh, I did share a ward the second time I went back in. So it was just hearing from other women what it was like with whatever gynecological issues they had. But also sometimes it was really hard, like when I was in pain or or I remember distinctly there was this one lady who was crying out from somewhere else down the corridor and she was just howling out in pain and asking for help. And it was so hard because I remember thinking, I just wanted to shut up. But at the same time, I really felt for her because, yeah. you know, just as another fellow patient. But then as one of the wise sisters said, it's a good sign of your feeling pain because it means <laughs> you're, you know, you're alive, <laughs> which is a really funny way of looking at it. But she was right. And, and the way that I, I, I hadn't read anything about pain management, but I just found myself thinking, well, whenever I was starting to feel pain, I would feel, I would 
to ask myself, is it pain or is it discomfort? Because di- discomfort is different and it is more, it feels like, to me, it feels more bearable yeah. than yeah. pain. And I think that's a really helpful way of kind of distinguishing it. And I I was then also using, um, I guess it was like mind, yeah, mindfulness meditation whenever I had the daily injection of um, um, patients to stop blood clots. They come around with their needle and I hated it. It was like every day, early evening, an injection into your belly or your leg. And I, for someone who wanted to be a medic, it's a bit funny why I haven't like needles. But um, I, yeah, I was just practicing being really present, um, which might sound a bit strange for someone who doesn't like needles, but it did actually help me because then I wasn't feeling the needle. So there were already signs that that was, you know, what I picked up during my coaching training was helping me a lot. I just feel that hospitals are a hotbed of the best of humanity. I really do. And bravery. Mm -hmm. And I just find hospitals really uplifting. Yeah. And meeting characters like Elvis, the phlebotomist. And just being really grateful for the small things. Like, there's nothing worse when you're in hospital... And unfortunately, they banned flowers, but I was lucky enough to get away with it. But all you're dying to see is some living, growing thing. And just trees, flowers, mm-hmm. green. It's just so important and so precious. So your we connection know. with nature has always been quite strong, hasn't it? And particularly so in the last uh, few years in your healing. Funnily enough, it wasn't as a child. I would say it's, yeah, it's only after that illness, the following month, I went back to Sharpham and I went, it was my second time on the nature meditation retreat and I really took to it. And I think it's because my illness just blew me wide open. Yeah. And they got us doing an exercise. So, so on the retreat, you're staying in bell tents that have already been put up and I love a good fire. So there's like at least a couple of campfires a day. So I was already really happy about that. And um, I do think there's something beneficial about sleeping outside in nature. Yeah. And it was, yeah. And it was kind of like, almost like glamping, you know, you didn't have to put the tent up. But they would have various exercises for us to do out in nature. And they sent us off doing this exercise and I can't remember what it was but I don't know it might have been making something out of nature that represented something for you whatever it was so I went back to the facilitators and I went you just tricked us you this is a meditation exercise isn't it and they were quite they were like smiling and nodding at the same time I was like that's really clever it's to not realize that I was meditating but I was and it's something so easy to slide into and and I realized then that when I'd been on that same retreat 
few years before, I had no clue. Like I hadn't engaged with it in a way, in the profound way that I did then. And so when I went on the on that, and so when I went on the solo day, I yeah, again, it was a really profound experience. And um and when we're invited to share, um that morning before breakfast, I suddenly had this brainwave that I wanted to share it as a poem. And I had never, ever, ever written creatively before. In fact, my family used to laugh at how factual my school essays used to be, apparently, and how I document every single thing from, you know, waking up in the morning, brushing my teeth, etc. So for me to suddenly go, oh, yeah, I want to write a poem. <laughs> it's like, what? And I remember trying to write it with using my head and nothing came out so I thought right I'll go off to breakfast and then I came back and it just came out without hardly any thought and um and during the day I had stuffed various bits of nature into my bra (laughs) I just felt like doing that and um so I just felt like okay I wanted to I guess make a a piece of art I guess out of the bra not with me in it I hasten to add but um the bra with all the bits of nature that I'd stuffed into it but I had it under a tea cloth so everyone was kind of like oh what's going on here yeah and then shared my poem and uh and the bra <laughs> just and that just took everyone's breath away and after that that was just the start of my poetry and my writing and actually on that same retreat I think on the last day we were invited to share to actually no we were invited to do another exercise which was about writing a letter from your future self or your younger self to your present self about whatever it was and what you know what did they want to say to you now to the present you and that came out as a poem for me as well and I just feel that when you're given opportunities like that it's a real chance for your inner wisdom to come out and you you don't I think we all don't give ourselves enough credit than we need to about when you really connect with not with your mind but with your heart and your body you are so much wiser than you realize you are you find that being in nature helps you to do that yeah i do and actually after that retreat it was the first time that i went home and i practiced being outside in nature in a really conscious way and the way that I do that is I describe it as a a mindful aimless wander so it's about leaving your head at home and letting your feet go where they want to go and just seeing what comes up and it's like walking through the landscape of your mind and 
you can either for me when I do that I can either go out with a like an open question like what do I what do I need to see today or it could be a bit more focused with an intention um like I don't know it might be something like I want to be a uh, I am a confident, wild, sensual being or something like that. And then you see what comes up or you just want to go with the flow and see what happens. So that's the funny thing is when you go out like that, it can be things that you see or things that you end up doing or experience that actually help you to reflect or give you or learn more about yourself or or give you some answers so I can give you an example during the lockdown I went out to this massive deer park um nearby and at the time I was th- I was thinking okay I want to find my purpose and I wasn't sure what that would entail um and it was and I'd finished working um and yeah I was having a break and uh I found so in this park I spotted miles away I spotted a couple of people who seemed to be going over this stone wall and I was really intrigued and this is the other this is the other common problem I have. My curiosity often <laughs> means that I end up in weird and wonderful places. Um, <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. and that's probably why I'm a scientist. So I, I was like, mm, I'm really intrigued. Like, why, why are they doing there? So I, I, I went there, and then I noticed that there was, there were hidden steps in the wall. So if I was facing it full on, I couldn't see the steps especially from a distance. And then as I got closer, and then if you saw it from a different angle, it was quite clearly steps. So I followed them. And then I basically ended up walking outside of the deer park. And I didn't have a map, didn't know where I was going. So I asked a really sweet elderly couple to help me. And they took me on some of the way. And then at some point I crossed back over the wall and then back into the deer park. And it was only later on I thought, oh was that what it was about so that's about getting out of my comfort zone and asking for help you know so that that's an illustration of how when I'm out in nature how things can reveal themselves to you that actually help you to can help me or help you to you know get more of an insight into what exactly you need or what's going on and I guess within that that's an element of trusting yourself or you know the path that you're taking that that that's okay to do that yeah yeah definitely I mean what I love about it is that or also sometimes it does you know it can be scary as well but what I love about it is that, you know, nature never talks back. No. <laughs> so you really have to 
you've got no one else to argue with except yourself. You have to confront things, you know. Um, and but nature is also really gentle and really kind. It can it can also be really fierce with you sometimes as well. But yeah, it's it's so it's so magical as well. Especially when you know you you're really like maybe it's really tough and you can't see you can't see a way through. It's amazing how you suddenly find the answers with the help of nature. So I think the other thing is going back to the whole mindfulness meditation thing. I firmly believe having tried out lots of different ways, I really think that if you've tried something and it doesn't work for you, that's not to say that it doesn't work for you at all. I think it's like finding the right door. And once you find the right door, just carry on going through that door because you strengthen that connection, that, that practice through that way. And then once that becomes easier, um, then you not only do you start reaping the benefits of being more present and conscious and connected, but then it starts becoming easier to practice it in other ways. So then when I've gone back to the traditional sitting meditation, it's a lot easier for me. You know, obviously with anything, there's always ups and downs and good days and bad days, but I find that that is now a lot easier. And I, I really think as much as, people might find think that mindfulness is an overused word i think it is so important given how fast paced life is and now with ai just putting even more pressure on speed yeah and this whole world of social media and um, being you know 24/7 switched on i think actually the real need is to switch off and that is also why i like going off in nature and putting my phone on silent and just disappearing, whether it's an hour or a week when I'm on retreat. I just think if you you need to, I think it's so important to cut out all the other noise so that you can hear yourself. And do you find when you're in nature, that's when you write your, say your, your best poetry, but perhaps your most profound poetry or is it more that the poetry is about nature you know is there is there a correlation between the two so in the beginning it was inspired it was always inspired by poetry and it was always going back to my own personal journey um but after that it's also been through other it's also being um more present with myself or through other I guess mindfulness-based practices like circling and circling is where you're with a bunch of other people and you're noticing what's going on with them so you're being curious about what's going on in their world but you're also staying present and connected with yourself so it's a mindfulness relational practice 
which is really good also for practicing boundaries and communication. Um, so that's also inspired some writing as well as a lot of reflection and things like that because I've you know going back to my sexual trauma the one thing I've realized in hindsight is that I wasn't good with boundaries mm. I'm not blaming anyone for it but I wasn't really taught how to set and express my boundaries and that no doubt led to what happened but also it led to why I was bullied at work a couple of times and I think it's also part of my cultural upbringing because it's always about putting other people first before myself and that is also why I ended up being so ill and also from my culture you know we we have more of a collective approach to you know we think about the collective so individualism is viewed as being selfish so that was also something that I've had to navigate in the past mm, has your poetry helped you with that that individualism yeah I would say so because <laughs> it's expressing myself and when I've shared it you know then even more so than I am expressing myself to even now you know now the last few months I've I've been um posting more on LinkedIn and it's the first time and it was really scary for lots of different way reasons and yeah that is really sticking I guess it's really it's almost sticking two fingers up at it but it's not to dis I, I love the the collective nature of that there is some goodness in that but I think I also took it a bit too far too mm. extreme but I would also say that yeah that was also knowing that I would probably have to be on social media more was also what triggered me to to confront my past because it was a fear of visibility and um yeah and I would say that off the back of that retreat where I being out in nature um and having that solo day and realizing that actually as I was like wading through tough bracken and like you know ferns that was that were as high tall as me or even higher I'm just thinking god why is it why am I choosing the re like the really difficult paths that are completely off the bit beaten track I mean don't get me wrong I like going off the beaten track on holiday but why am I taking these paths that are so hard when actually there's just a path right there that that's all well laid out why am I doing that to myself and just thinking do you know what I'm actually really tired I think I'd like to just take things a bit easier yeah so coming back off th that retreat I um, I wanted to find a, I felt I wanted to find a, a female therapist who was well versed in tantric massage. So again, when the pandemic started, I'd signed up to do a women's course in sensuality and sexuality. I just felt drawn to it. And 
it was great to start a course like that during the pandemic because it meant that I had something to focus on and and I also had some community um yeah. pandemic and um uh and it was connect it was really challenging connecting with parts of myself that I felt shame about I hadn't fully accepted or I found really difficult to embrace um and parts of myself where I felt a lot of judgment as well mm. the judgment shame either came from myself or was reinforced or came from people that I'd you know people that I dated even though actually they were no they weren't in exactly a angelic position to be doing that to me on but basically that the teacher as I later discovered towards the end was was a was also offering this tantric massage and I wanted to give it another go but she was living too far so she found this other lady for me much nearer to home and I went thinking I was going to have that but actually we had a long chat and and the massage was going to be on my really like around my um it was up to me how intimate I wanted it to be but it could be around my well they call it yoni so around the vaginal area all of all of that all of that part the pubis etc because the idea behind that is that there may be some repressed emotions or um blocked energies whatever and it's mm -hmm. about sort of releasing all of that and I really felt that even though you know I was working on myself emotionally and trying to get over my illness plus my trauma I really felt that I also needed to work on that from the on my body and um whilst I was talking to this lady which was part of a process she offered me what she called an astral journey and this is really weird. So for a scientist, he's completely, you know, being brought up to deal with evidence, fact. You know, it's just like, what the? An astral what? You know, I didn't know about that in the context of spacemen. But uh, for some reason, I was just like, okay, if that's what you feel I need. Because at this point, you know, I... I I guess it's because of my curiosity and also I I you know I'd already done the whole thing out in nature and stuff like this and just it was just making me more and more open to things and I think if you are a true scientist and you're propelled forwards by curiosity why would you not why not so I can only describe it as a kind of meditation guided and it was about me having, me coming from a higher, sort of me having a conversation from my higher self to myself now, but also having a conversation with the key people that I wanted to, including the perpetrator. And that was really significant because actually before that, the reason why I wanted to, you know, I had had thoughts about whether I, how was I going to have closure? Because at the time when it happened, I'd asked them for closure 
they gave me really weird, it wasn't closure. And I'd had a question about whether I needed to tell somebody significant in my life. And actually going through this process enabled me to have all of those things. And the and the lady who led me through that, um, a lady called Amelia Griffiths, um, she she said to me later, she said, that was the most powerful session I've ever had with a client. And I think it was only because I'd gone on that retreat. I'd uh and I'd really, you know, come to terms with it. And it was almost like, you know, when you have a pimple below the surface and it's about ready to pop. <laughs> so I think that was me working the pimple through. Yeah. Helped me to like pop the pimple. And it was so funny because she'd said, you know, you might feel a void afterwards. And, it, and, you know, it'll take you, you know, and, and just be kind and gentle to yourself because it might take you, you know, some time to let it all settle. And the next day, it was so funny because I could see my rational mind. So actually, you know, I was I was meditating and I, she was right. I was aware there was an absence it was just like nothing. And then I noticed my my rational mind was coming in and going, what the hell was going on? Uh, was that gestalt? Which is a, you know, a psychological based practice where you wear hats and you, you know, take take turns sitting, seeing different perspectives of the same thing. So my rational one was going, oh, what about this? Was it that? Blah, 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 blah. And all this like mind chatter going on. <laughs> and I think I was also journaling as well, because um, sometimes that's part of my daily practice. And um, and I was just like, Ming, why are you questioning it? If it's worked, does it really matter what it was? The fact is, it's worked. and. I also tested myself because I bought these books on healing from sexual trauma, like these self-help books before I saw her. And I'd left them on the side and I hadn't felt, hadn't opened them. So I forced myself to open the books. and I just had no interest in looking at them. Oh, okay. I was in denial. It was it was like as Amelia said, even though I compartmentalized it, it still had been part of my life for mm. over 20 years. And it was a case of, well, why do I want to give it any more space than it already has had? So the whole process that she'd taken me through had just allowed me to find a way of making peace and, and letting go of it and I yeah and I just didn't feel the need to engage with it anymore and I it had also struck me that whilst my so I at this point I was I'd been in psychotherapy I've been I've had four years of psychotherapy but I was still in psychotherapy at that point and my psychotherapist was on a summer holiday 
And um, when I started confronting it from the retreat, I was like, oh, no, I need I feel like I need some help here. And my psychotherapist had just said, look, sorry, I can't. I'm on holiday. But what about contacting this charity, that charity? So I contacted a few charities and uh, one of them I said they couldn't take my call, but they would call me back. They couldn't maybe in about three weeks. And my, bearing in mind, this is all during the pandemic. They couldn't put a concrete time in it, but maybe three weeks. And after that, if I was accepted, then I might be able to sign up for 12 months, free one-to-one counselling, then six months group counselling. So it just made me realise how lucky I was to find Amelia, B, have the money to go and see her, and three, in three hours with her, how I had saved three years of my life versus going down that that charity route. And I just really felt for all of those people who don't have the resources or the finances that I've got to be able to go through all of that. I was just so grateful to Amelia. And, um, you know, just appreciating how hard it was during the pandemic for people to access the support that they needed. Yeah, very hard, wasn't it? The issue might still be there. It would have been compounded so much more where there was such a strain on services, both in the in the demand, but what they were able to provide as well because of the restrictions of technology and, and everything else. Yeah. So, so how is life for you now that you've been through this journey? What's the what's the difference for the in with for Ming now as opposed to Ming of five, ten? 15, 20 years ago? I am a lot happier. Um, I am really well resourced in terms of my own ability to look after myself and care for myself. And I have a much better relationship with myself now. Um, I do love and appreciate myself more. And that's also been mirrored in the the boyfriend that I have now because up until <laughs> up until what I guess the illness I was making dire decision you know dire choices in romantic relationships really bad and um and then I decided that because it was getting so bad I decided to put myself on a sabbatical and and from dating and it I I remember at the time I felt really empowered in making that decision rather than you know when somebody asks you oh you know what your status is and going oh yeah I'm in between relationships I actively chosen to be single and I feel um I feel definitely more compassionate to myself sometimes it slips but I I have ways of reminding myself if not my boyfriend reminds me I'm being more compassionate and understanding towards others and not taking things personally and just also 
yeah, deeper understanding when I'm with others, whether it's through my work or through like personally, socially, that just being more aware of just noticing what might be going on for other people and just not leaping to first conclusions or you know and always actively reminding myself not to not to judge a book by its cover but it's also I'm definitely way more expressive as well because I remember in the beginning when I started to connect with myself well actually before I connect you know I started connecting with myself I could only feel extremes of feelings and then when the illness happened I started to get in touch with my feelings and I couldn't, you know, it's almost like going from black and white TV to Technicolor, but it, like when you start going to Technicolor, it's like a faded form of Technicolor. Maybe the colors aren't so bright mm-hmm. and maybe you don't see the nuances of different shades of color. And then gradually, as I started getting more into that, then I could slowly start discerning the different colors and textures of feeling um where it's really helped me to process my own feelings not just about trauma but feelings in general and be able to express them through my writing to the point where I've actually done a audio recordings of some of them for a charity and then being able to express it through my I just actually found out yesterday that I want to a business challenge through Sarah Price's actually community where we had to write us um they call it an origin story about you know why why are you doing what you why are you doing what you're doing in terms of your business and that when I wrote that story I didn't expect it but it was so cathartic I I was just crying when I wrote that story because it was so personal it was so just intense um because it went back to uh my sister's tricky pregnancy and about my niece and what she went through because she had multiple she was born with multiple heart tumors um and it and actually connecting back into that and uh how I ended up magically and strangely playing a part in saving her life (laughs) in a weird and wonderful way through my work that I'd done 20 years ago on a drug that was supposed to help patients with kidney transplants not reject their transplants but somehow it turned up helping to to shrink her heart tumors which I never expected I'm just allowing myself to like intellectually at the time when it was happening, I knew that it was amazing. Like, like what a what a um, a coincidence that was. But it wasn't until I allowed myself to feel the enormity of that that it really connected me to my purpose. When I was about ready to walk out the door on what I'd been doing for a very long time, and it actually then became something really profound and spiritual when I allowed myself to connect with those feelings so yeah I would say that the me now is is way more 
connected to myself my uh, very much my feelings but I've also become really spiritual and I is I'm not religious <laughs> having gone to a survivor of a Roman Catholic convent school no disrespect to anyone who's religious but it it just wasn't for me but um I never I never thought I'd be this spiritual um but I am and I think it goes back to well if I'm open-minded then why would I not be open to certain things and I it's a bit weird coming from a scientist I sometimes think that I think it's good not to know everything I think it's good sometimes not to be able to explain everything because we all need a bit of magic and mystery who I'm now I'm also just celebrating and loving life and um magic and awe and wonder of so many people that have really helped me I'm just profoundly grateful for that every day and the other thing I wanted to say as well is how actually a couple of things so the other thing about the magic is and some people might explain it through some I don't know some neurological aspect but this is the other weird thing that that I've now learned since my illness so sometimes I have songs that drop into my head for no reason at all and when I go and look up the lyrics they are always appropriate to where I'm at at that point in time and uh you know I've had songs from like a virgin <laughs> which I interpret it as me singing to me about some aspect of myself to a song oh god Maria the song from West Side Story the original and this was after I I did a piece of work for a client and it was something a, a new something new that I really want to do more of that I know I've got a lot to offer and I tried it out on them for the first time and the next morning, this song popped into my head and I was just waking up. And I know that when this happens, I either have to go and listen to the song on repeat or sing to it or dance to it until I no longer feel the need to or the emotion leaves my body. And Maria popped into my head, so I had it on repeat. And um, it just felt like my soul and my heart were singing to each other. And that's how I knew I stepped into my purpose. So mm. I would say that when I say connected, that's that's an example of what connection can also be like. You start noticing signs that your body's giving you or, you know, wherever. But actually, you start reading yourself better or reading things a lot better about that give you an indicator, oh, is this the right thing for me or is it not? Well, that's amazing. So for somebody who finds themselves in your position of several years ago before you started this very profound healing journey, what sort of lesson have you learned from all of that that you could share with them that would perhaps help push them in that direction but maybe encourage them to or just enable them to be able to explore a 
a journey of their own to to make peace with what's happened follow your heart that's it <laughs> that's all you have to do and if it's hard to be in touch with your heart just just make space and time for that you know just get off social media just get some quiet time away from everyone everything you know and it could be as small as five ten minutes you know and over time just getting up into the habit and then gradually increasing the amount and retreats are a really great way of getting away from everyone and everything changing the environment being with a different bunch of people being really well looked after by people who know what they're doing and and just spoiling yourself and and if it doesn't work don't give up just just carry on just carry on go because you will get there in the end and I guess each experience that you have like that that's layers upon layers which maybe eventually lead you to that place where you have that very profound pivotal moment of of healing like you experienced on on that retreat but it took you several it took you steps to get to that place didn't it of of doing something and of being out in nature or finding a, a trusted friend to talk to yeah and and I, and I think that that all came from that wasn't my head deciding it I just felt I just okay maybe the part of me that was my head was I knew it was good for me but I think there was also that deeper knowing I knew it I knew it was good for me I knew that that's I just felt a pull towards that and it's the same pull that I had towards um, seeing a tantric therapist, a male one. <laughs> and just to say for some people that um, my caveat is I don't know a lot about tantra, but what I, and it's not all about sex either. Um, I think it, it's a lot about connection um, and embracing your wholeness, actually. It's about embracing your duality. And um, again, after I saw Amelia, who's a tantric practitioner, I read a book actually that was on the reading list of my women's course. And I've forgotten the name of the author, but it was about a woman who'd gone on a, a, a journey of her own, about her own sexuality. And in there that she mentioned seeing this male tantric therapist and I really loved how he came across so me being curious <laughs> I decided to go and look him up <laughs> and I watched some of his videos and I was like yeah actually it makes real sense here because he said if you're trauma you know he so he he sees women and they don't necessarily need to have trauma they could have you know, it could be that they have um, uh, difficult, that, you know, maybe they've had problems after childbirth. Maybe it's, you know, picking themselves off after a difficult relationship, blah, blah, blah. But he said, you know, if you've had trauma, for example, and it's involved um, or you've had a difficult issue with a member of the opposite sex, then 
why do you go and see a female tantric therapist? Why would you not go and see a male one? And I thought, do you know what? That makes absolute sense. So I started to see him and it got, and this is the complete opposite of typical therapy because typical therapy, you don't have any form of an intimate relationship. And this one involved a hell of a lot of intimacy and a sexual setting. There were definitely clear boundaries though. It was all very safe. It's just more of a sexual nature. That's all I can mm-hmm. can describe it as. And I actually felt really empowered because at the time I was single, I just thought, actually, yeah, this is great. I can I can continue working through my stuff by myself rather than wait until I'm in a relationship for it to all come out and the poor person that I'm with is subjected to it, even though I'm not consciously deciding to subject it to them. Yeah. But I'm actively doing this in a really empowered way for me whilst I'm single and with someone who is extremely knowledgeable, you know, is a therapist um, and I'm in a safe space. And they were perfectly, you know, just like any normal therapist, perfectly, you know, all operating within professional ethical um, boundaries. So, yeah, yeah, I I found that that really helped as well. And I'm mentioning this because I, I just want, you know, other people to be aware of the range of different help you can get. Mm. And whilst he only sees women i have also gone to um sex positive places called temples and again great great place whether you're in relationship or not for exploring your sexuality getting more comfortable with that whatever it is for you practicing consent boundaries and um connection And it was also there at one of those places where I've had conversations with guys. Uh, You know, one was bisexual and he was sharing with me how difficult it's been for him um, to, you know, how men regard him, how difficult that is and how to find, you know, a partner. Uh, to another guy that I found who I uh, met who um, you know was in a married for a really long time and um, unfortunately it didn't work out but the aim of why he was there at the temple was he wanted to reconnect with that part part of himself that he'd left behind in his 20s and he's now I think he was at the time maybe in his 50s but it was that part that was really, really, uh, what's the word? No, really loved sex, but his partner wasn't into it or had a much lower libido, whatever, for whatever reason. And he'd lost that part of himself. And we were talking at the end and it was so, I, I was so comforted and reassured and inspired and encouraged that 
he was also doing a similar thing to me and he was but seeing a female tantric therapist and working through his own stuff in that way so that's what I love about some of the experiences that I've had and, and, and the whole thing about these kind of temples is that they're facilitated by people who are therapists in this area so it's totally safe confidential respectful very well structured um, and there's lots of support there and it is a very supportive environment as well I love that that that's a as you say a safe place to be able I think particularly to be able to practice boundaries and consent and all those things that you know so often we're we're not taught as children as as young adults you know I'm I'm sure you're you know you're not alone you know it's not something that I recall consciously being taught about you know it's way back in the 70s 80s I don't know whether so much it is now I don't think I necessarily did that with with my daughter on a conscious level either so it's it's really good that you know there, there are these opportunities in order in which you can can explore that and get confidence and empowerment and it's really lovely as well to be in a space with other people who are all consciously working through their own stuff so you know that you're in a great company of other people so you don't feel alone whatever relationship status you're in or wherever you're at in life and it and and you and there's people of all different from all different walks of life different ages whatever all there and that's what I really find enriching well thank you so much for coming on the podcast today Ming wish you all the best with winning the competition and getting your story published and and with you know one day getting your poetry published if you have you got any pieces that you can share with us I do I'm just the question is which one (laughs) (laughs) have you got one about following your heart I've probably written on that non-stop just thought that would be very relevant for that being sort of the particular lesson for this episode and in terms of my music I have actually I've compiled a playlist, a playlist of all the music that just drops into my head. Oh, yeah. Because I've said, I've said to my boyfriend, probably appropriate music to play at my funeral because it's Well, it, me. that is the music well, of I, your life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the interesting thing, you know, what would be on your playlist you know yeah yeah to encapsulate you on a playlist um what a lovely exercise to do you're going to do it now Richard yeah do you know what <laughs> I think I will do yeah but mine's still ongoing because I've, I've, I've done it for the a three-year period and I've just started another period so mm. oh this one I wrote now because of that major dream that I had my therapist has given me an appreciation for dreams so I often note them down and sometimes I kind of extend them out as a kind of meditation and I and it looks like during this time that I was processing my trauma again because it's very true what people say that it's like a spiral that you keep 
that you may come back to a certain event or point in time but actually you're not really at the same place because you've traveled further along the spiral right so i'd gone back to processing my trauma again the nature retreat i mentioned that i went on um and this is the exercise where they invited us to write a letter from our older self a younger self to present self and i've written dear today's me let go let go of me no need to punish yourself anymore no need to wonder this or that if you truly lost your heart or not if it should have happened why it happened why i decided made that choice which has cost me pain suffering self-flagellation time let go of the guilt the blame the shame embrace who you are love yourself dearly remove your heart from the back of the drawer let it shine breathe beat fast beat slow listen intently never let it go be here and now with much love my younger me oh that's beautiful that actually made me have goosebumps when you were reading that thanks rachel i have sometimes when i felt moved to i have given it to a, a, a few individuals who i just felt they needed it for where they were at and what a beautiful gift to be able to to share thanks rachel a gift from the heart and there's one that i'm going to read i was thinking about you because i know you're into your wounds yeah and i wrote this after i came out of hospital and i really uh, I came out of hospital in July and it took me, I'm looking at the date when I read wrote this and it took me uh, about four months to, to be able to look at that part of my body, even though it was keyhole. Mm. <laughs> um, I remember at the time, it was the first time that I was going to touch my scar and um, I decided to do that at the same time as writing. The dark crimson blood staining my body, my hair on my weathered skin, increasingly papery, worn and tired. My scars touched me as I touched them, caressed them, tears pricking behind my eyes, full of drops, slowly and silently falling, heart welling, full of, I don't know what, emotion, tenderness, vulnerability, love, tinged with sadness, memories, like two lovers for the first time, me and I. That is gorgeous. And I love that you wrote that whilst you were touching your scarf for the first time. 
so powerful. Yeah, it was really, I felt really emotional uh, when I was doing that. And I feel, I feel a bit emotional reading it now, actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well. And there is one final one that I might read. Because you talked about, we talked about nature. So this is when I was probably the most intense retreat I went on because rather than one day of a solo journey it was four days of camping out in the wild wilds of Scotland alone it was all really well run um and there was always you know help at hand if we needed it but we were basically by ourselves most people were fasting but I felt I couldn't for health reasons so I was just eating very little the whole time and being out with my intention and I realised by that point that actually my process is when I go on these kinds of retreats, after I've been on it, I have to write a poem. It's just my way of processing it. So everything that I've written in the poem is exactly what happened to me. Oh, where to begin? Oh, where to begin? On my four-day solo journey within as tick time encouraged me to navigate the folds of my skin. Off I set forth with the load on my back, while the ticks and midges often halted my tracks. Off into the soft green haze of the sea, where I stopped for many a pea. There I met Stickman, who became a dear friend, who first sent me onto another in order to mend, to apologise Give thanks for the love as I lay, a top pregnant baby moss woman while I found my way. To feel the deep unconditional love of my body, during a time I felt disconnected and shoddy. Something deep and tingly stirred in my belly, and no, it was definitely not that slug in my welly. With my arms open wide, and our legs astride, I welcomed in that which nearly had died. It had torn me apart, my second heart, which I vowed to keep safe, loved and warm in amongst that shimmering swarm of midges. Surrounded by the mossy green toad and rabbits, while I carried my emotional load. Across the green land, the gnarly bracken and sinking peat bog the bubbling burn and many a fallen log, the effort it took to heave that rock. Just like my fight with the tall forthright ferns, one of the many lessons I'll learn, to let go, love, be gentle and kind to oneself. So with that in mind, I cradled the child of anxiety on my lap with my midge net firmly over the top of my cap. Wow. So yeah, that, that, that came That's from a... Just, yeah, I mean, when you wrote that, did you think, where did that come from? <laughs> it just, it was in the middle of the night. I, I suddenly woke up, I couldn't go back to sleep. And then uh, it was the first time I ever wrote a rhyming poem. And I just felt I wanted the rhyme because it was, 
it had that joy in it and um I just started I couldn't stop composing in the middle of the night while I was in bed so I had to just get up and start writing it the whole experience super interesting because it was like well how can I still stay present while I'm trying to find a rhyming word for this and that but it 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 didn't feel too difficult either yeah I mean it did feel like a little bit of thought but sometimes it also feels like the words are just coming through me Mm. in flow yeah yeah and every time I write everything that I write is always what I've experienced and I guess it comes out of a sense of maybe subconsciously there's an intention of wanting to share what I've experienced so that you know to other people mm-hmm. but I think ultimately it's just it's almost like recording that not deliberately but it, I guess it is an actual record of my experience yeah. as well as helping me to process whatever it is that I'm processing and keeping yeah. myself healthy oh thank you so much for sharing those with us thanks for inviting me to do this. <laughs> yeah oh yeah no I've loved our conversation thank you loved the poetry I hope to see them out in print sometime well I'm working on setting up a poetry writing blog so oh cool so yeah watch this space I've realized that if I if it helps people in some way then you know I I would love to share in that sense yeah plus allowing me to to just be more creative yes yeah definitely yeah oh well when that's up and running do share the link yeah anyone wants to you know ask questions about what kind of help that i've accessed because there is there there are other sources of help that i've accessed that haven't necessarily spoken about or if they're curious about what I've been doing what through what I've mentioned then yeah then um feel free to reach out and how can they contact you yeah they can find me on um on social media yeah or LinkedIn brilliant actually there is one important thing I forgot Mm. to say and I've gone over time really quickly um, that I think is really important actually to get out and that's about making peace with a trauma so I didn't know how I was going to make peace with it and people talk about it as forgiveness and I couldn't quite for whatever reason I couldn't quite comprehend the word and it's whatever you know you use whatever term works for you and mine is making peace with it And the way, and it was so funny because around the time when I, you know, I confronted what had happened on that retreat and then sometime later as I was processing it, um, allowing myself to grieve as well was another part because I know you're all about lessons in loss. Mm. And I think grieving is really important, even though it was 
bittersweet because I wouldn't be here now if I hadn't gone through all of that. Um, <clears throat> what really struck me was as much as what had happened with that person had led me into my darkness, into, you know, um, in the way that I treated myself and allowed other people to treat me, that card that they'd given to me that caused me to start questioning and then confront what had happened was also the way that I'd gotten out of the darkness and back towards, you know, found a way out into the light. So that was, you know, that's the weird thing, that the person who was responsible for my downfall was also responsible for me getting onto where I am now, even though they have got no idea that that's ever happened. And when I reflect back on why this whole event happened, I think, I think that we both wanted love at the end of the day. It just came out wrong. It was just misguided. And I think with my adult head on and knowing you know, having gone through therapy and, and a, as a qualified coach, I think that for me, you know, I also may be, you know, sometimes they, they, well, the professional bit about being a therapist or coach is not allowing your clients to fall for you. Mm. And I think there was an element of that where we were confiding each other. They they weren't my therapist, but it was an element of confiding in each other. And I think that's where the boundary got crossed as well. And so actually, when I realized, when I, I felt, it felt really true to me and myself that we were both coming from a place of love, wanting love, because we didn't feel we had it, that we were loved enough. And, and therefore and, and and yeah and then this descent and ascent out of into and out of darkness I just felt really loved I just felt really loved by them which is really really strange for me to say that about a perpetrator and I felt really loved and held by if you want to call it the universe, whatever you say it is, or life, I just really felt deeply held and loved. And therefore, I'm not, I don't hate them. I don't, I'm not saying that I condone what they or anyone else who does things to, you know, abuses other people. I'm not letting them off the hook, but it really gave me a way to find peace with it all. And yeah, and and forgive. And I really wanted a clean, a clean break, and that's what it's given me. Mm, I guess it's that. So as you say, that acknowledgement that whilst you're not necessarily, you know, you're not glad that that happened, it's acknowledging that it did happen and the processes that you've gone through have made you 
into the person that you are today and you love that person yeah and also you know I've who knows what that person's had in their past to end up the way that they have done and who knows what subsequent trauma they've had as a result of the event that occurred between us I don't know so if I look at what impact it's had on me I can only assume that it's had some kind of impact on them whether they're conscious of it or not is another different question but I can only be yeah again I'm not excusing them definitely not but I can be grateful for how much I've grown out of it and just to clarify when I said and you know that's made you into the person that you are and you love that person I mean that you love yourself yes for being yes. where you're at now. Yes. Yeah. And, and and that's what I would say to anyone who's, you know, had some kind of trauma, whether it's a however, whether it's a capital T or a little T, um the most important thing is I just think is making peace, is having that clean break without any desire for revenge a desire to hurt somebody else because actually you're still in pain and suffering and that's okay it's going to take time it's a process but that is a sign that you're still you're still on your own journey and in fact even though you know I've made peace with it it sometimes still comes back for me, you know, we're just all at different stages of our journey, like the perpetrators are. And that's just what it is. And they need help too, just as we do. Don't get me wrong, you know, the whole thing's like me too, great. But I think it's what's your tonality and your intention behind your true intention because it might be unconscious to you but what is your true underlying intention behind the words and the actions your words and actions that's because otherwise you're just holding yourself still in that pain aren't you yeah at that point when you're still harboring bitterness or planning revenge as you say it's that you're still holding on to that pain yeah if you're able to let that go exactly yeah be compassionate to yourself and to the perpetrator then it releases you of it and don't get me wrong it's it 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 is so hard you know it might take state it might take different stages so yeah work in progress yeah but thanks so much Rachel oh you're very welcome you're very welcome thank you so much Ming wow there was so much information and wisdom in that conversation 
and Ming has very kindly put together a resource list which I'll share in the episode notes so if you want to explore or have a look into any of the different things that Ming tried and experienced on her healing journey then please do take a look at them. Thanks so much to everybody who contributes to the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music and as always thanks to you for listening. Please share, like, comment, because the more we do that, the more people will get to hear about the podcast. Thank you so much. I'll be back soon with another lesson from the last.